Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau. The Hope Restored Sermon Series continues. Our scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. And as Pastor Dan teaches today, there are a couple of types of blindness, and both have their cure in Jesus Christ. Well, this is Communion Sunday, and as we set up our communion table, we're reminded that our series is indeed called Hope Restored, as we continue our series walking through the Gospel of Mark, and we're at chapter 8 right now. And one of the best ways to have hope restored is to admit we are blind in many ways and need help, and so this is a message on how we can see and how Jesus helps us to see. It's interesting that only the Gospel of Mark has this story. And as you might imagine, blindness is prevalent in the first century in the Middle East um, due to the brightness of the sun when there are no sunglasses uh, or due to ophthalmia, a severe inflammation of the eye. they, many people had vision issues. Scholar William Barclay says, historically, it was not unusual to see people with their eyes encrusted with stuff around them and flies would settle on it and thus spreading infection. Koalau Kitchen is open. Um, <laughs> this blind man must be well-loved because it says that the townspeople brought him to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal him. And notice the community brought the man to Jesus. So first question to us is, do we have a passion to bring our friends to Jesus? We know of their needs. Do we try to bring them to Jesus? Bring them to healing services. Bring them here. Bring them to a small group. Alpha. Rooted. Now notice the theme of the gentleness of Jesus as he tenderly cares for this blind man. We see this in the very first verse, verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. So similar to Chris's sermon two weeks ago, Mark chapter 7, Jesus very pastorally takes the blind man by the hand, leads him away from everyone, takes him way outside the village. Why? Well, many reasons, like respecting a confidential HIPAA rule. You know, he wanted this man to have privacy. But more importantly, if this man was blind for maybe a long, long time, can you imagine if he was in a crowd in the town square and suddenly, boom, he was healed? Man, that would be really traumatic. Suddenly see all these people like right around you, staring at you, gawking at you, cheering maybe, and then the simultaneous explosion of of light and the bursting kaleidoscope of color. So Jesus takes him outside. Jesus is always a gentleman. He's kind, he is courteous, considerate of people, especially to those who are disadvantaged. Plus, Bethsaida, according to Matthew chapter 11, is a really sinful town, so Jesus might be protecting him. Then, of course, comes what we think is the weird part. Verse 23, he takes the blind man by the hand, leads him outside the village, and when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asks, hey, do you see anything? Why is Jesus spitting on people? What is going on? I thought you just said, Dan, Jesus is a considerate man. Now, in this previous chapter, in the previous chapter, Chris preached on how Jesus was presented a deaf man who couldn't speak well. Jesus then put his fingers in his ears to show him, I will heal your deafness. And then he spat 
and touched the man's tongue, I'm getting choked up saying that, to say, I will heal your speech. So yuck, who wants Jesus spitting on them? So get this. Here's a way to understand this. God always uses different methods to reach different people. That's why we have different denominations. I mean, think about that. Did you know that denominations attract people according to which of the five senses is most dominant, generally speaking? For example, Episcopalians, Catholics, tend to be highly visual. They love stained glass windows, um, beautiful cathedrals, which are visual art pieces in and of themselves, carved statues, the building, the visual art is part of the worship. Those of Pentecostal, charismatic denominations tend to be more kinesthetic, meaning they tend to be more touchy-feely. Uh, and environment has to feel good. So they don't care if visually, if the sanctuary looks like a barn or a warehouse or a gymnasium, who cares? But in the worship, do they feel the spirit? Presbyterians, clearly the most biblical uh, one, <laughs> tend to lean towards listening, the oral sense, the Preaching of the word is central. John Calvin said that that's one of the marks of a church, the preaching of the world, word. So while charismatic denominations like Vineyard tend to have every meeting, whether it's business or Bible study, begin with singing and worship as they feel God's presence, the Presbyterians want to hear, hopefully, good, biblical, creative, intellectual preaching. Often, 30 minutes. Catholics... <laughs> Normally not longer, except today. So uh, Catholics, on the other hand, who are visual, tend to have shorter homilies. Have you ever been to a Catholic church? It's like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Um, So when it comes to, because the liturgy is so important. So when it comes to spitting, know that God uses methods that first century people will understand. So don't think 21st century American in reading this. Think 30 A.D., In ancient Palestine, people believed that spittle had healing power. So to to give us 21st century people a little understanding of this, when we cut a finger or burn a finger, don't we often put it in our saliva-filled mouth to ease the pain? So we kind of, kind of get it. So the first century blind man knew that spit was part of the healing process. So when Jesus used this method to heal him, he could understand it. Plus, think about it. Jesus, by moistening the eyelids, it would begin to dissolve the crust that I mentioned prior that were often on eyelids, and that would enable the man to open his eyelids to then have a chance to see. I don't think today um, we who pray for healing would do that, um, unless you want us to, we could try. So again, Jesus used different methods for different people to heal them, and often with words like, take up your bed and walk, or rise up, girl, um, wake up. Uh, but this time, no words, just spit. Now, this is important for us who want to learn how to pray for healing. Healing prayer is not a formula. It's not like hitting the buttons on a cash register or, as I've said, like an ATM machine. Um, Every prayer uh, um, 
is different depending on the person's needs. I once was taught, when we pray for people, be quiet and ask God first, which of the five senses should I pray and emphasize to help this specific person in front of me? Do I say, for example, Lord, may this person feel the warmth of your love and please fill him up? Or do I say, may this person see you as a light in her darkness and visualize the beauty of your face and promise? Or do I say, may she have the aroma of Christ and smell the sweetness of your love? Or do I say, may this dear brother hear your words of kindness and truth and promise and block eyes, block out the lies he has heard from childhood and hear rather well done and good and faithful servant? Or may this sister taste the refreshing living waters of your freedom and forgiveness? So when people share a prayer request with you, lock into what sense are they dominant in? What do they say, I'm feeling bad, I'm feeling a weight on me, a burden? Or do they say, things look bad in my life? Or do they say, God's voice seems dull, I just can't hear him? Then you have a clue, and so you can pray in that way. So Jesus spits on his eyes, lays hands on the blind men, and says, do you see anything? And the man says, I can't quite see clearly. Uh, it looks like trees walking. Jesus prays a second time, lays hands on his eyes, and then he could see completely and clearly. Now, many of you might um, find this amazing that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, had to pray twice for someone. It's the only time in the gospel that happens. This means many things. If Jesus needs to pray for some people more than once, so do us humans. So no shame in that. Second, it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have the power. Again, the tender side of Jesus is that he goes only as fast as he thinks the healing should be. And it was in stages, as I said, so that there wouldn't be this explosion of color uh, for this blind man or this shock of all these people around him. So here's why I really like the story. I don't want us to miss this great truth. A couple things. The blind man got healed because his community brought him to Jesus. So if we have friends who need healing, bring them to Jesus, pray for them to actually get healed. He would not have been healed if he didn't have friends who had the faith that Jesus could actually heal him. Second, the blind man got fully healed only after he was willing to say, I still can't see right. I see, I'm seeing trees walking. This statement is really an amazing thing to say. Now, why is that? Because the blindness in our lives does not leave unless we can admit we are blind, that we can't see, and that we need Jesus to heal us. And this leads us to what I want to talk about next, our spiritual blindness. Just as we all have some form of a mental health issue, um, and that's why we're doing the conference this weekend, we are all in some way spiritually blind. Sorry, but true. And everyone has sin and a blind spot they don't know. 
It could be something as simple as, you know, we talk too much, we eat too much, we rudely don't listen, we're more selfish and nar- narcissistic, narcissistic than we think. And sometimes we say about others, golly, I wish someone would tell him or her about that issue. It is such a blind spot. But here's the scary thing. We all have blind spots, and there are probably people talking behind your back saying, boy, I wish somebody would tell them about their issue. It's so glaring, and they don't even know. Spiritually, do we know we have faults? Do we know we are a sinner and have spiritual blindness? If the man in the text doesn't say, I still don't see good, well, Jesus wouldn't touch him again. He humbly admitted he needed to improve his life. And unless we confess some kind of holy dissatisfaction about ourselves, then we're not going to grow and be more healed. You will only be a partially sighted, seeing trees walking person if you don't confess your faults. And we don't want to be just tree-walking, seeing people. The blind man got more healed and a crystal clear vision of life when he could confess that he still had blindness in his life. A main contributing factor of our spiritual blindness is that we just don't have the knowledge of who God is and how he acts. And the best way to know God and understand him is to read the Bible. And that's why our church is promoting the just show up strategy, which is basically having people just show up, no homework prior to a gathering to listen to a dramatic reading of scripture for about 40 minutes once a week. Most people, including Christians, have never read the entire Bible They want to read the Bible more, but they don't have a plan. My friend Bill Huang created an international movement of groups of people listening to Scripture together. And there are now more than 6,000 small groups of people meeting in homes and businesses and, and churches and schools, offices, just listening to Scripture. And Bill has worked with Fuller Seminary to design a schedule so that every week when you meet, there's a structured plan to read uh, with other people the entire Bible by reading a psalm or a proverb and then reading from the Old Testament, then the New Testament. And it's so simple but effective and something I want to permeate our church, that we will all have read the full Bible in community. Now, here's Bill, I want you to meet him via video, interviewed by Todd Bolsinger of Fuller Seminary to explain how Just Show Up works. And here it is um, coming from New York. My journey really began when I was having a lot of problems in our business about five, six years ago. And I knew one thing that this was a situation that, you know, money, connection couldn't really help. But somehow I was reminded I have to go to the words of God. But there was a problem that whenever I tried to read Bible, I just couldn't continue. So instead of going to Bible, I went to Amazon. 
and then I started looking for, is there a great, you know, uh, audio book? Then I began reading the Bible and listening, and a miracle happened, meaning I began reading Bible for hours. And then I had to stop and think about what just happened. I knew God's Word was a great content, so content was great. But the delivery part, whenever I try to do it myself, I failed. If you look at a typical Protestant church service, how much time do they read Bible taught mm-hmm. in, in your church or other churches? Usually a couple of passages, yeah, the so, Old Testament so, and New Testament, a so, so maybe a, a minute, yeah. okay? Yeah, maybe two. Yeah, one or two <laughs> minutes, yeah. okay? Entire Bible reading takes about 80 hours. Mm-hmm. When I ask a lot of church leaders and pastors, they have no idea. And that's something that they're telling people to read. They don't even know how long it takes. Hmm. So let's say you have a Christian who goes to church so faithfully, entire life, they will never be able to finish reading the Bible together. Hmm. So most Christians are like people who watch previews of a movie Constantly, <laughs> that's a great image. Yeah, a preview of a movie constantly, and somebody's explaining to me what the movie is about. So I feel like I watched it, but I never did. Like I know the storyline, but yeah, I don't yeah, really yeah, know the right, story, right, right? Right. I haven't been caught up in the whole story. Yeah. And then, so let let's have people watch the movie, huh? But you know, maybe go to the theater together. Essentially, every Christian that I met wants to read more Bible. Hmm. I never really met people who said, I I don't need to or I don't want to. So it's really not an issue of desire, Mm -hmm. but issue of strategy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then what's the strategy? Strategy is really being in community. I mean, look at the Bible, how they read the Bible. Right, right. All right. What used to be reading together, we made it to be utterly private. Mm -hmm. All right. What used to be a long reading we made it to be such a short reading, one yeah. minute. Mm-hmm. And then what used to be a lot of listening, humble listening, we made it to be reading. When I read something, I'm in control. Mm. I could always shut it down. Mm. I could open it up. But again, the good news is people want to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. So as leaders, we have to give them strategy, enjoyment, so that they could know mm-hmm. what's in the Bible mm-hmm. and they could know who God is and who mm-hmm. Jesus is and and decides for themselves whether to follow Christ or not. Mm. Reading the Bible should be just like eating food. I don't worry about eating food, Mm. you know, and I do it within my community, Mm. and I do it joyfully. So why is reading the Bible in community so important? We know that when we exercise or diet, it's easier to do it with someone. And same for scripture reading and listening. And do it with others that it becomes easier and more accessible. Again, the theme of this passage is that it was the community that brought the blind man to Jesus. In community, we might learn the Bible better. So sometimes when we are busy and we don't have time to do the homework for Bible study, uh, but for this, no homework. Just show up and you can listen while you read the Bible. So Bill started this in New York, uh, Wall Street, Manhattan, and in his church and in a neighboring college. And I've done it in his office and in his church. And I'm amazed how the scripture comes alive. You know, no cell phones, no laptops around. And you're just concentrating and immersing yourself in a Bible reading for a prolonged time. 
And so many new things were revealed to me as, as God was talking to me, and it helped me, encouraged me, informed me as things were being revealed and unpacked, and I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in a new way. Now, I want to show you this short video uh, of the impact of people who just showed up reading scripture together in New York City. And the interesting thing is, you know, these are busy business people and they're coming in making time, either breakfast or lunch. And, and these are CEOs and they're administrative assistants and they're middle manager types. They're Jewish people from Goldman Sachs and uh, they're all there. So interesting um, that even the non-Christians drop by. So let's take a look. When I read the word of God, I'm much more kind, I'm much more understanding. I'm more forgiving. I mean, it just overall makes you a better citizen on this earth. And this movement of studying the scriptures together, the public reading of scripture, I think this is going to ignite a passion in the body of Christ. And people are going to mature in ways that they've never done before. This was an ancient practice. This was the way the Bible was read in the earliest days. And this is how it was passed along from one generation to the next. Most people have a very disjointed experience of the Bible because they've heard a snippet here or there. And if you think about the way many worship services are constructed, you may at best get a verse or two which the preacher is concentrating on that day. Now that's not in and of itself a bad thing, but what it does is it robs people of the context and we assume that people are biblically literate. So some people may have read this book five times, some people, baby Christians were reading it for their first time, some are not even Christians, that's okay. And that's the beauty of Joshua. When two or more people gather, the Holy Spirit is with us and he stirs our hearts. I think it takes away that fear of, I'm not prepared, or I don't know enough. I've learned so much, so much more than I ever would have learned by myself, because I usually start skipping through pages when they're either just too tough or too fire and brimstone. But together with others, we get through it and we surface ideas, and what happens is it becomes contagious. We want to share with each other, this hit me, or this I don't understand, or what does this mean? So it's a really wonderful exchange. When you read long passages out loud with both the text in front of you and someone speaking, you make the connections for yourself. You start joining the dots together. It becomes active participatory learning, which anyone who's involved in education like myself knows that's the best way to teach. In every session I've attended, I've learned so much. And it gives me time to reflect and being re-energized to come back to workplace or wherever you need to go. We read great Christian classics or the Bible. And so the content is very good. We reflect on it, we discuss it. And the part that I love the most is we can apply it in a practical way. So some books you read it is very philosophical and you don't know how to apply it to your daily life. Just Show Up allows us to do that. So to get our church acquainted with Just Show Up, you know we have been offering Just Show Up gatherings in Waco and on Saturday, Sunday morning. 
uh, in life training classes. And for the last few months, we've been playing two different dramatic Bible reading programs in our church service. One is called Word of Promise, uh, with a cast featuring like Jim Caviezel as Jesus. And um, in fact, you could buy that in... um, the waterfall wing today. Um, it has like John Voigt, Marissa Tomei, Lucas Jr., Gary Sinise, um, and it uses the New King James Version. Or there is the Bible experience with an all-black cast with readers like Denzel Washington, Samuel Jackson, Blair Underwood as Jesus, Forrest Whitaker, Cuba Gooding Jr., Angela Bassett. And that one uses today's New International Version. So they're both very dramatic, have sound effects, orchestral music, as you've heard today in our Bible reading. So Just Show Up is a call to return to the biblical way of learning, as 1 Timothy 14, uh, 4.13 says, have preaching, have teaching, but you've got to have public reading of Scripture, regular, extended listening, and reading together in community. So one more video, very short, that shows in animation why the public reading of Scripture has been a lost art, but it made a major difference in ancient Israel and is commanded by the New Testament and how it can bless us today. This is the biblical basis for community Bible reading. Let's see it. I was reading the Bible, which, you know, is kind of hard to do, but I came across this verse that says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Yeah, this is in Paul's letter to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's telling him about ways that he can keep his church community engaged with scripture. Okay, so preaching the Bible, I get. Teaching from the Bible, I get that too. But what about this reading scripture together thing? Is that something I'm supposed to care about? Why did Paul think it was so important? Oh man, for Paul, this was a really significant practice for the people of God. Think all the way back to Mount Sinai, where the Israelites were just rescued from Egypt. They're no longer slaves, and they need a new identity, a new story to live by. And so Moses, he gathers the people together, and he reads the scriptures aloud. He reminds them of where they came from, who they are, and the new future that they're called to live for. This was the first public reading of scripture in the Bible. Yeah, and it didn't stop there. When the people finally got into the land, they did it again. Joshua pulled the people together, and they all listened to the scriptures read aloud so they could remember where they came from and how they could keep living as a part of this new story. So this is something they did all the time then? Well, actually, no. After Joshua died, we don't have any more stories of the people coming together to hear God's word. Instead, the people forgot their story and a whole generation arose that didn't know their God or what God had done for them. But then, centuries later, a king named Josiah rediscovered the scriptures, and he was so excited that he called Israel to begin this practice once again. It sparked a renewal movement. That is, until the people forgot once more, and they ended up in exile. And so this is why, when Ezra and Nehemiah came back from the exile, they needed to remind the people who they are and how they are to live. So this is a powerful practice. Yeah, in fact, reading scripture together became a core part of Jewish life. It was done every week as they gathered in synagogue. Jesus himself participated in this practice. He even launched his mission during the weekly reading of the scriptures. He read from the scroll of Isaiah, and then he told everyone these words were about him. And that brings us all the way back to the early church where Paul told Timothy to keep this practice going to immerse the whole community in the story of the scriptures. Okay, but here's the thing. Most people back then didn't know how to read, so they had to do it publicly. But I could read the Bible by myself. Yeah, and you should totally do that. But don't underestimate the power of this ancient practice. 
Reading the Bible by yourself can be hard. It can be easy to get distracted. But something happens when you hear God's word read aloud and when you're with other people. And besides, it's really easy. You don't need anyone to preach or teach. You just need to listen to the scriptures and then talk about what you've heard. This is what God's people have always done when they enter into new and uncertain times. They remember their story and who they are through the public reading of the scriptures. So you get a tray of sushi, a bucket of KFC, and you bring your friends together, and you listen to the Bible. Um, so may we be a church that is always of the Word and the Spirit, uh, but we've got to know the Word. And if we don't know what Scripture says, then we, children and adults and youth, will always take on the culture of the world and its thinking instead of God's Word. We won't know God's will and his wisdom, and we'll make decisions not how he wants, but how we want. And this has to be a core value of our church. Eventually, I would love all the small groups and fellowship groups and individuals and home groups or members in their workplace to start reading the Bible together in some form. It will enhance our church, our lives, our city. It will center us. And I know when I've done these readings, I'm amazed how much more is revealed that I've never seen before. I mentioned um, Lowell Berry last week, a successful man who used his millions um, for God. And Bill Huang is another who will use his money for the kingdom and pe- plans to pay for more Bible dramatic readings with famous indigenous actors in Japanese, in Mandarin, in Spanish. And he just finished a Korean version so that the Word of God might fill the lives of the people of God. But I'm hoping in the fall we can start having more Just Show Up groups. And if you want to start one, maybe in your home um, or fellowship group or your business or small group, uh, school, we do have starter kits and some guidelines. And so Executive Coordinator Jenny Sung and Deacon Vice Moderator Michelle Gorman can help you get started. They're in Fellowship Hall, actually at the front door near the reception desk. And um, just look for the Just Show Up signs and they can talk to you and sign you up for a a time when they can uh, help you organize or lead one and give you some tools. And here on Sunday morning, we're hoping coming this end of this month at least, we'll have two Just Show Ups lodged, one at 8 a.m. so that the 9.30 people can attend that and one at 9.30 a.m. so that 8 o'clock and 11.11 people can attend that. It all takes a sense of humility to say, I'm blind and I need help. And, and it's all about the experience that the blind man had in meeting Jesus. In a moment, we're about to experience communion, a holy sacrament. It brings it all together. It can be a step to remove our, our spiritual blindness. First of all, in this sacrament, something spiritual happens. We believe that during this sacrament, Jesus is more present than at other times. And the Holy Spirit is here. So put out your spiritual senses and see, feel, hear, taste, um, if that is true. Especially when we have a time of waiting and we're holding the elements and you're praying, waiting to receive the, the cup and the bread. Communion is also knowledge as we talk about that the Lord died for us. And communion, for those of you who may be seekers and trying to figure it out, communion is not saying that Jesus 
was just a man who was a little bit better than Mother Teresa or a little bit better than Nelson Mandela um, or that he's kind of like Buddha or Muhammad or the Dalai Lama. No, he is the only one who died not only for the sins of others but also for the sins that you have committed. And no one else claims that. And no one else claims that he was fully God and fully man. He saved you. He sacrificed for you. And when we truly understand that, we're going to want to follow him and do great things for him and have a passion. Before the final blessing, I just wanted to say that if anyone has a prayer concern, our prayer team would love to pray with you, and they will meet in front of the cross, or you could meet them in this corner. And whatever your concern is, they will listen to it and hold it confidentially and then pray, whether it's physically, spiritual, or emotional. And now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and its countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and His amazing grace. In Christ's name, amen. We can help cure our biblical blindness by reading our Bible, studying the Word, and being in community in the process. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Prez website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Prez app. Watch First Prez Sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2018 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.